we pray that we would come with a open and humble submissive hearts to you to uh, the Spirit's uh, ministry to us, each of us, Lord. We ask you to bless each Sunday school teacher in each class. We pray for the church worldwide as it meets and gathers today to honor you. We ask, Lord, that you might be pleased to bless us with the insight and understanding into your word today. We ask you to bless uh, the service to follow. We, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity once again to uh, hear your word and to be uh, instructed by it, edified by it. We pray that all things that are done here today might be honoring to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have outlines on the back table if you would like one. <clears throat> They're available for you. Some people don't like outlines. Some people do. It's up to you, your personal uh, preference there. Our study this morning is going to cover James chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, truth, prayer, and singing. Two body parts mentioned most in the little epistle of James are tongues and knees. Basically, he deals with us with regard to self-expression, things we say, how we respond to situations. Uh, in our speech, and then, of course, our dependence on God in prayer. Actually, from this point on, he's going to deal primarily with prayer. So that's going to end the book on this note of focusing on uh, a believer is known by his resorting to God in prayer under all circumstances. Um, and again, sooner or later in life, uh, in this section we're in now in chapter 5, uh, we we're going to encounter some difficulties, um, some stressors. Um, in, a, in the present fallen world, believers will suffer uh, injustice, uh, iniquity, disadvantage in our world. And uh, when that happens to you, how will you respond? Uh, normally, our emotional reaction to these things is we get mad, or we, uh, uh, we, we kind of give up in anguish. We just feel a sense of anguish and hopelessness. James tells us in this whole section, chapter 5, that we should, um, we should do neither, but we should be patient uh, instead, patient toward people and, and uh, long-suffering in the midst of trying circumstances. Those two things are the things he's been emphasizing in this section. Um, basically, we need to keep in mind that Jesus is coming, and that is good news, and that should be a, a, a hopeful, encouraging thing to us. So the, the bottom line is, I don't care what they do in Washington, Jesus is coming. <laughs> they can mess it up all they want, but Jesus is coming, all right? Uh, it's kind of one of those things. So and during trying times... Uh, he, in this section especially, he's giving a special care to our verbal responses. What do we do with our, our, our mouth, our lips, our tongue? How do we respond verbally? In this, in the verses 12 through 13, he's going to focus on three things. Truthfulness, uh, prayer, and then praise or singing. So we have truth, prayer, singing in this section. Basically, every circumstance in the Christian life should be met with a constant acknowledgement of God's will in truth, in prayer, and in praise. So we, we 
keep that in the back of your mind as we look at this section today. First of all, truthfulness in chapter 5 of James, verse 12, he says, Above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under judgment. We live in a world that's dominated by the devil. Uh, He is the the prince of the power of the air, the the ruler of this present world. And certainly as uh, sinful men, uh, all men are incorrigible liars from according to the scripture not they're not going to tell you that they are but the scripture says the bible diagnoses us as saying all men are liars um, <clears throat> from human conception onward actually we're liars uh, james is 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 speaking to believers here you and i and that even in in regenerate people, people that have been born again, we still have issues with staying the line when it comes to truth. Um, he calls this uh, this problem back in chapter 1, verse 21. Let's look back there. He says, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. We still have a lot of weeds. If you've ever grown anything in a garden, You've got bugs, you've got weeds, mainly weeds. Weeds will grow in concrete. They'll grow anywhere. You give them a flower bed, buddy, they really go to town. But uh, he's talking about remaining wickedness. Weeds are undergrowth in that verse 21 of chapter 1. And what he's referring to are these uh, unregenerate carryovers uh, from our former life. We, We still... You know, this is why my dad always did it. And I'm, I, I do it too. It, it, it's not, not Christian way to do it, but we carry things over, if you will. A lot of self-defense mechanisms, things like that. Remaining wickedness, if you will. These character traits that we keep practicing from our previous lifestyle that still affect our conduct and our attitude, especially in these times where we're, we're pushed, we're pushed where we have tries and difficulties. Like the guy that cuts you off in traffic. <laughs> what about your mouth at that point? You know, Among other things. So we don't always react in a Christian way. So he's addressing in this section the issue of truth speech, noting, first of all, its importance. Notice he says in verse 12, but above all, my brethren... Some people think he's uh, he's signaling a conclusion here, like Paul saying, "Finally, my brethren." It's like the preacher looking at his watch; it doesn't mean anything. I'm still got another three chapters to go here. I, I don't really think this. Um, above all, he's he's telling us he's about to wrap it up. Uh, but in the light of what he's been saying, I think he's he's con- he's going to focus on some concluding matters that really stand out with regard to. Our, our behavior, especially with our, our verbal responses in, in trying difficulties. Um, it's it's kind of like when Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourself. So it's kind of, okay, they wrap this up. The really important here that you have fervent charity. So he's saying here, so it's really important here that you uh, abstain from these business of swearing oaths, if you will. The command here is do not swear either by heaven or by earth 
or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. So if you turn back to Matthew's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, I think it begins around verse 33. James, throughout the whole book, you're going to see Jesus' statements. James, will, he remembers, this is what my brother said, or this is what my half-brother said, this is what my Savior said. James never calls him his brother in his writing. He always calls him his full title, the Lord Jesus Christ. He never calls him my big bud or something like that. He doesn't do that. He's always the Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, this is what he's quoting Jesus here from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.33 where Jesus says, And again you've heard in the ancients were told you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make, nor shall you make an, an oath by your head, you cannot make one um, one hair white or black, but let your statements be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is evil. It's going to cause problems. It's going to cause difficulties. So how do you respond to things verbally? So he basically is just telling us, quit practicing swearing. Quit swearing. Uh, and I think this has to do with making... Um, taking God's name, if you will, into the situation to make sure, well, this is real serious. I'm, I'm real serious about this, so I, I call upon God, if you will, in this situation. It's not always wrong to do that. It is wrong to do it for ulterior motives, to make you look better, to make you look smart, make them look dumb, something like that. But there's nothing wrong with calling on God because you... Paul does it all the time. <laughs> he says here in 2 Corinthians 1.23, Moreover, I call God for a testimony on my soul that despair you have not come to Corinth. So he, Paul does it. All the apostles do it. Um, it doesn't mean swearing by God or taking oaths is wrong. Um, <clears throat> but there's some oaths and some swearing that is wrong. All right? And this is what we try to trying to clarify this morning. He seems to be saying that this irreverent, thoughtless taking of God's name in vain without truly meaning, about this, without truth or sincerity behind it is a sin and it leads to all kinds of uh, problems, grumbling against a brother back in verse 9. Uh, thoughtless swearing is seen as sinful, kind of a self-defense mechanism. So let me clarify just a little bit what we mean by uh, swearing and oath-taking. <clears throat> and I think both these words in our culture are used interchangeably. We don't really make a clear distinction. I think you can go to a dictionary and you can see a distinction, but usually when we say someone is swearing or he's, he's swearing, he's usually swearing an oath. So we put the two together. But uh, basically an oath is a solemn affirmation whereby we invoke the name of God or in some cases something more reliable than me to give credence to what I have to say. And we do this a lot, or we've done this a lot in our lives. I swear on a stack of Bibles. Uh, I swear on my mother's grave. May lightning strike me dead. You see what we're saying? This, this is really true. This is really... And so it's this idea of... Actually, it's just an... It's a weed, it's an unregenerate carryover, and we shouldn't be doing it. James says, stop it. Stop that. 
foolish swearing like that. A vow, on the other hand, again, the dictionary definition is has to do with man's duty to God. Um, an oath more is a, a duty to man. Like, uh, when people are married, they, they swear an oath, I do. When you go to the legal system in the court, you raise your hand, put it on the Bible, so help me God. What are you doing? You're swearing. There are times when that, that does happen. Um, and of course, uh, he's talking about the kind of swearing that, that is to make you look good, not actually to affirm the truth of something, if you will. Uh, D. Edmund Hebert says the fact that our courts are filled, that our courts find it necessary to uh, place a witness under oath to tell the truth is an obvious confession that they recognize that people are congenital liars. Our whole court system understands people just basically lie. They'll lie. If their life is, I mean, if they feel threatened in any way, they'll lie to get out of it. So that's why they have to put them under oath. You lie, you're perjuring yourself. Lying is one of the first evidence of our sinful nature. Psalm 58 Three says the wicked are estranged from birth. They go as soon as they are born speaking lies. Little baby crying, nothing wrong with it. He just wants you to pick him up and to pat him. And He's not really hungry. There's not anything wrong with him. But he just learned, hey, if I do this, guess what? Mommy picks me up. <laughs> so they learn to do that. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sinned by mother conceiving. Actually, lying identifies us with the devil. John 8:44. You are your father, the devil. The lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He bowed not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks. That's that's him. For he is a liar. He's the father of lies. First lie. God didn't really mean you know that you shouldn't take that bite of that apple or whatever it was. I think it was a fig, but anyway. Um, human lying starts out as kind of a friendly ally, but eventually, I mean, hey, I used lying. I got out of got out of trouble by, by lying about it. So it becomes our ally. But after a while, uh, we become its slave, and apart from the power of God, lying finally fortifies our damnation. Revelation 22:15 says for outsider dogs sorcerers immoral persons murderers idolaters whoever loves and makes a lie outside not in in heaven okay it confirm we confirm it because we keep relying on that to get us out of whatever it is instead of the lord see how that works i can rely on myself and my ability to lie my way out of this all right, so he points out, you know, the importance of this here is above all my brethren, <clears throat> swear not at all. And then he clarifies, and then we've clarified that, you know, and actually they're swearing and oath taking. The one has to do with God, the other has to do with man, basically. And then he makes, the, we need to make this application here. Why does he deal with swearing and oaths here? We're talking about. Uh, difficult circumstances, difficult people, being patient with them, being long-suffering in the midst of all that, because usually when we're in these times of trouble, uh, we're not patient. We usually blow up or we'll say something that we wish we hadn't said later. 
And so it's uh, it's our verbal response to these issues that he deals with here. Uh, sometimes they're wild, wicked language, dishonoring to God, hurtful to people and to our own soul. <clears throat> Tasker in his commentary says, Of all the manifestations of impatience in times of stress and affliction, the most frequent is the taking of the Lord's name in vain by the use of explosive utterances and hasty, irreverent oaths. So help me, God, I'm going to do this to you or whatever. It's interesting that the third commandment in the Ten Commandments says, you shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain. That's a perpetual universal obligation. We are not to break that commandment. Uh, we're only to take the glorious name on our lips if we do so thoughtfully, reasonably, and reverently. So then, how do we interpret his point here? Stop swearing, stop taking the Lord's name. So what, what does he mean by that? Well, I think you could take this in two ways. One is, not in an absolute sense. A lot of Quakers, Mennonites, uh, people of that stripe, uh, take this uh, as an extremely literal statement and they will not take an oath in court. I mean, they, they refuse to, to swear an oath because I said James said, swear not at all. I do think that there are proper occasions when you should take an oath. You should swear. Um, Marriage, court, witness, something like that. Um, Usually when there's some some kind of a serious lawful interest involved, uh, which, which require an appeal to the witness of God to secure confidence. Uh, public confidence, if you will. That's when you're usually called upon to swear. Um, most of the times when we do make proper oaths, the divorce court shows we don't really mean it. We lied about that even. Is that sad? That's such a sad statement. Um, his prohibition, I don't think, can be taken in absolute sense when he says, swear not at all, do not make these oaths. Uh, because God Himself does it. All through this, oh, the Scripture, you're, God swears, I swear that I'm going to give Abraham this land. God swears an oath. So it can't be wrong to swear an oath. You see what I'm saying? There is a legitimate swearing. God does it. Genesis 22:16. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, I'm going to do this thing. Genesis 26, He does I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham. Hebrews 6:16 6, says, <clears throat> For men verily swear by greater, something greater than themselves. Stack of Bibles, my mother's grave, lightning striking me. God, okay. An oath for confirmation is to them the end of all dispute. The same way, God willing more abundantly to show the heirs of promise, the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an earth. This is Hebrews 6, 16 through 17. Uh, Isaiah 14, 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying... So it's not like you, you're, you're not to do it, all of it. There's some legitimate swearing and then there's some illegitimate swearing. We're actually instructed to swear. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 13... For you shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him and shall swear by His name. You shall swear by His name. Actually, the Old Testament understands the God you swear by is, the, is your God. 
whoever it is you swear by, that's your God. Actually, swearing, uh, you know, so help me God, is actually, in the New Testament sense, would be a confession of faith. I trust God is going to see that this works out properly. He's the one that, that hears my words, sees this situation. So the God you swear by in the Old Testament, and I think in the New Testament as well, and today, is the God that you truly serve. Um, a lot of Old Testament examples of positive swearing. Abraham does this. I've lifted up my hand to the Lord Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. He swears. Genesis 21, now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely. And he does that. Genesis 24, Abraham does it. Isaac does it. Jacob does it. Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite, in 1 Kings 17, 1, um, <clears throat> who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God lives, I, he's swearing, so help me God, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. He swore that. Well, and it didn't, by the way. Now that, this is a, this is an oath or swearing that actually is a positive thing. There's some negative oaths taking. You have David swearing as the Lord lived when he was told this nice little story about someone stealing a lamb and he, I swear, you know, that person should be, and then, uh, the prophet Nathan says, that's you, by the way. So he, he inadvertently swore at the wrong time. Saul does this to the witch of Endor. He swore, he swore to her by the Lord. Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, Second uh, Kings 5.20, as the Lord lives, you know, just give me the cash and you'll be alright, that kind of stuff. So we can, there's some false uh, negative examples, but there are also positive examples. Some New Testament examples, you have an angel in Revelation 10 swearing. One foot on the land, one foot on the sea, raised his hands, swore by him that lives forever. Paul does this in Romans 1.9, For God is my witness, Philippians 1.8, God is my witness, 1 Thessalonians 2.5, God is witness, and even Jesus swears an oath. It says in Matthew 26.63, <clears throat> as he's being in this uh, kangaroo court of the uh, Sanhedrin, if you will. And it says that uh, Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee, I put you under oath, I adjure thee by the living God, tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. He is the Christ, the Son of God. He swore it under oath. And that's when they said, let's kill him. Let's kill him. They understood. He's claiming to be God. Also, New Testament negative oath swearing. Remember Peter warming himself by the fire and they said, you're one of his disciples. I am not. And he began to curse and to swear. So there are positive, negative examples, if you will. So I think this should be taken in just kind of the plain sense it was meant to be, and not prohibiting all oaths, but but restricting the abuse of an oath or swearing, if you will. Uh, something that incorporates God, <clears throat> the name of God, in some way. And we do this in three different ways. Let me just go over these for you. First of all, there's ev- evasive, deceitful swearing. 
this is the idea of uh, you're caught in a situation and so you're trying to change reality. Well, this really isn't true and I, I prove it by, I swear. And so I use these words to lie and deceive others. In the, in the Jewish culture, which James certainly would be very familiar with and the readers would be familiar with, they're all Jewish Christians that had fled Jerusalem. And he's writing to encourage them. <clears throat> but certainly they understood in that day that Pharisees were experts at the mechanics of dishonest swearing. Mark 7, 11, uh, where, the, where the Pharisee says, uh, your parents uh, are prohibited from getting any of your inheritance. It's Corban. It's, it's dedicated to God. Of course, I can change my mind afterwards. It's dedicated back to me. Actually, they're just saying that to be evasive. So uh, they use this uh, swearing oath, these uh, different ways to to get out of things, to be deceitful and evasive. Uh, there were some airtight oaths, even according to the Jewish culture that day. If you mentioned the name of God, you couldn't get out of it. Then there were these loophole oaths, which were not binded if you didn't actually say God's name. You just, uh, I swear by heaven, I swear by the temple, I swear by the gold in the temple, I swear by everything but God. Somehow or another, that was kind of a loophole oath and you could get out of that. Of course, Jesus said, you know, that's, I mean, that's evil. And this is really what James is condemning here. This business of trying to be evasive by by using your verbal response in some way to throw people off, to make them think that you really are on it. You swore, he swore by God or something like that. So that's, and that's evil, right? And the second one is just dumb, all right? And the second one is called irreverent or thoughtless slang. We call it profanity. In a true sense of the word, it's just, I'm not taking God's name serious. <clears throat> it's kind of the thoughtless mention of the divine name in general conversation that includes all these honest to God, oh my God. You see what I'm saying there? That's that's not good. We as a Christian shouldn't be saying that. We're speaking frivolously the name of God and it has no meaning and it's just kind of ignorant babble. It's idle words that we will give an account for. One day you'll have to give an account for those stupid idle words that you spoke. This ignorant babble, if you will. We should be careful in replying to when someone sneezes with our God bless you. All my kids will go, God bless you, and I really mean it. <laughs> it, it did come through my mind, and, my, and I really mean it. I'm not just saying that, because everybody says it. I'm not just saying it. I really mean it. I pray God it help you. Uh, Paul in uh, 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands firm, having this seal... The Lord knows them that are His. Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Don't use His name in vain. Make sure that it's going through your heart, your mind. You understand what you're saying. So it shouldn't be irreverent, thoughtless slang. That's just dumb. The third one is just stupid. (laughs) We went from evil to dumb to now stupid. And that's filthy or vulgar language. This is... a. Speaking with disregard to spiritual and eternal things, almost in defiance of God, I usually it usually refers to this as cussing. I mean, if you're an Okie, you know exactly what I'm saying. I'm a, he's, he's cussing out there. 
Uh, ignorant profanity basically includes any kind of corrupt speech or bad language. You know, oh my gosh, is not considered cussing. All right, that's a minute though. But this, we're talking about uh, that which invokes God's name with malice, uh, without forethought, without forethought, with malice and without forethought. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and useful and edifying that it may minister grace to the hearer. 5.4 says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting nor that which is not seemly, but rather the giving of thanks. Someone has noted during the Welsh revival, the coal miners had to replace work mules because they couldn't understand their language anymore. I remember after I was converted, I lost half of my vocabulary. I, I had to learn how to talk again because I didn't have all these juicy little cuss words to throw in there every third third word or something like that. It's just the expression of my ignorance and my stupidity, if you will. Um, even after we clean up our act, um, <clears throat> we still have problems with minsto, things like geez, lordy, darn, Gosh, that's the same thing, except we've, we've cleaned up the word a little bit. It's the same word, we just disguised it. We put a, a groucho mark, glasses and nose and mustache on it so you couldn't recognize it. But it's the same word, taking God's name in vain. Excuse the use of all these acceptable forms of swearing, saying, I don't mean anything by that. I didn't really mean anything by it. And that's the point. You didn't mean it. You, you When you use God's name, you need to mean it. It should come here. I've thought about it and I'm serious. This is what I truly want want to say. It shouldn't just come blurting out. All right, That kind of stuff. James says, above all, watch your speech so you may not fall under judgment by taking the Lord's name in vain. Remember, every time we pray, hallowed be thy name, it should be desire of our regenerate soul to always hallow the name. I don't drag the name into whatever junk. You see what I'm saying? I'm thinking about what I'm saying. My verbal response needs to be thought about a little bit here. The issue here, again, is not being deceitful or speaking thoughtless or impetuous, irreverent swearing in times of stress and affliction. But... uh, He's he's wanting us to be truthful with regard to God and this situation. Not not saying something that's really not true. Exaggerating, evasive, thoughtless, verbal responses. Like Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. It's better to say, okay, or no, that's not, I'm on, I'm out of here. We do understand that (laughs) our... This verbal response business with our tongue, that's a work in progress, isn't it? It is for me. I'm still working on it. I'm not there yet. I've still said a few things, you know, that you'd think, did the preacher say that? (laughs) Yes, he did. He said it. He meant it. He shouldn't have said it. Uh, We're all kind of works in progress. But as an ambassador for Christ, we're to work at being careful Present him thoughtfully before a watching world, especially in times when we're in a difficult circumstance and some difficult people. That's when, all right, 
here's the mouth issue. <laughs> and here we go. How am I going to reply to this situation? And James says, listen, above all, swear not at all. Don't, don't abuse this business of swearing to make you look better, make someone look worse. Basically, he says you need to be truthful in these issues. May, may represent, represent God in a truthful way. Um, now he, he goes on to give the proper response toward not only bad times, but good times as well. And that should be prayer. Besides working at being truthful in our response to adversity, what, that, what else should we do in the midst of adversity? Well, we need to take it to God. You pray about it. Instead of, this guy can't do anything about it. My speech can't do anything about it. But God can do something about it. So, as a believer, we we live in a fallen world. It's made up of tragedy and triumph. Our life can change real quickly. And and radically, we can go from singing to sighing. And, I mean, just like that. And and we we often do. But whatever comes, since all life is to be held as a sacred trust from God, we're to always relate that back to Him. And in this case, truthfully and certainly prayerfully. Okay, so he's, he's telling us, be careful how you swear. Make sure that's truthful and make sure that you bring that to God. These people can't do anything about it. You really can't do anything about it, but God can do something about it. So you bring it to God. He says in verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? And this is a, the word affliction here. Again, some kind of a, a person that's treating you evil or some, some bad circumstance that you just can't get out of, some enduring uh, difficult circumstance, if you will. Uh, in, in this case, probably involves persecution, uh, abuse, misunderstanding, um, calamity, troubles, distress, misfortune, perplexities. As believers, we do go through hard times and raw deals. Second Timothy two three says, "Therefore endure hard times and raw deals as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Suffering is one of those normal, usual, expected uh, experiences, if you will, for believers." First uh, Peter four. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise for the same mind. So he's saying, we're, we're, if Jesus suffered, you know, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they mistreated me, they're going to mistreat you. Keep that in the back of your mind. Second Corinthians one eight talks about, um, don't be ignorant, brethren, of the trouble which come upon us. Paul says in Asia, you know, it's one of those things we're just identified with Christ. It identifies us with Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, troubled on every side, persecuted, not forsaken, always bearing about in the body the dying of Jesus. We're reflecting Jesus had the same mistreatment. So any among you suffering, and there were, and we have, and we probably will be. He tells the response here. Let him pray. And the word is, let him keep on praying. In these adverse circumstances, don't resort to anger or anguish, giving up, attacking, giving up, complaining, swearing, giving away to self-pity. All these things prone to reflect the untruthfulness 
that we're God's children, that He's in charge, if you will. Basically, the Scripture over and over again admonishes us in those times of difficulty, turn to the Lord in prayer. Uh, this is a lesson that, you know, I'm not sure we ever really learn this the way we ought to. It says in Psalm 18.6, In my distress I called on the Lord. I cried to my God, and He heard my voice out of His temple. My cry came before Him even to His ears. Psalm 50.15, Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Psalm 61.2, From the ends of the earth I will cry to Thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to that rock that is higher than I. Here's Jonah in the belly of a whale. I cried by reason of my affliction to the Lord, and He heard me. So prayer is the best and the holiest use of our tongue. Can I say that again? Prayer is the best and the holiest use of our tongues. Not swearing. I've used my tongue and I, I'm really I'm embarrassed to tell you that that tongue has been there. All right, It shouldn't have been there. But this is the best use of it right here. Our verbal response to adverse situations should be, take it to the Lord in prayer. Like the song says. We should always relate afflictions back to God, not meaningless chance or maybe some way, some, some, something I can do. Trouble should cause us to respond truthfully and drive us to prayer as a means of grace. Uh, we're to persist in asking for God's wisdom, asking for His deliverance, His comfort in troubles. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Actually, I think he uses all, all five words for the word prayer, the translated prayer in this one verse in Ephesians 6.18. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. But certainly when we encounter problems, our response shouldn't be some kind of verbal response to the person or to the situation, but it should be to God in prayer. All right? Then he adds singing. So yeah, truthfulness, prayer, and now singing. Um, any among you suffering, let him pray. Any cheerful, let him sing praises. And in case you hadn't noticed, not all Christians are the same. We're all a little different. We all look a little different, but we all behave and act, have different personalities, different different types, if you will. Um, uh, we don't always behave the same way. Uh, we don't always have the same situations to behave in. In fact, um, I'm glad that suffering is not always a part of our life. There, actually, most of our life is not suffering. Most of our life. God has been just pretty nice to us, all right? And we ought to be grateful and thankful and praise Him for that. And of course, everybody, I said, is different. Some believers are sober and serious, and that's great. And others tend to be cheerful, lighthearted. Really, you need both, don't you? I do. I need to be around lighthearted people. I need to be around serious people. Because sometimes I get so frivolous that I'm way off base right here. And I have to explain to the serious person, it's a joke. It's a joke, boy. <laughs> They're not getting you too serious. So we can be too serious. We can be too frivolous. That's, that's why we need one another. Okay, hey, balance this out. Hold here. Um, but there are some people that, that do manage to keep a cheerful attitude 
when you know when everybody else is running around their hair on fire and panic, we're all going to die. This kind of stuff. What are you talking about? Jesus is coming. <laughs> you got to have people like that. You know, you need the other. I mean, we are in trouble. <laughs> we do need to know that, but we need to know that other as well. So we need this both. And basically, he's focusing on this cheerful person. And and there will be merry, happy, uh, prosperous times when the troubles aren't just overwhelming us. Um, and we're not crying out to God in prayer for some some immediate relief. Uh, there are times when you know we just thank God for His many blessings. You know, thank you, Lord, for this the, the blessings you brought in my life. And certainly, ought to be cheerful and joyful about that. Uh, John Calvin says suffering should be should stimulate us to prayer. Prosperity should provide material for praise to God. So, hey, when we're not in the midst of this suffering, we need to we need to praise God for it. All right, and this is the the idea. Men are so depraved they cannot enjoy themselves, lest they forget about God. When they're in trouble, they go into depression, sink into utter despair. That's still Calvin's quote. I'm sorry. Um, and then when our our hearts are comforted, it's it's we sometimes uh, go that we forget about God, and we we're so caught up with our with our his blessings that we forget the blesser uh, this kind of stuff so basically he's saying our carts are comforted uh, sometimes we we forget God but here he's covering all of his bases uh, basically he's saying that when tragedy occurs uh, or when triumph occurs all these things are related back to God in the midst of this tragic situation, what I do? I pray to God. In the midst of this triumph, what do I do? Praise God. So you have truth, prayer, praise, or singing, if you will. And so this is a, kind, of, kind of how he's moving in this, this section, if you will. It's a calamity that drives us to prayer and cheer that should drive us to praise. First um, Corinthians 14 uh, says, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit. So we got praying and singing here. Um, basically, let all things be done for the building up. Prayer, singing, whatever. Let him sing praises. Uh, the word praises here is uh, actually uh, normally it's translated psalm. Let him psalm this out. Acts 13.33 uh, I think Paul here is quoting the second psalm. And this is the same word here, praise. First um, Corinthians 14, when you assemble, one has a psalm. One has a praise, a teaching. So here it's translated praise. Normally it's translated psalm. Psalm means to praise God. Originally it had to do with strumming in some kind of an instrument and praising God in, in song, if you will. Um, music is one of a very powerful form of communication to convey a message from one personal being to another. I think it's interesting that there was a time when being an actor, that was the height of, whoa, that's really special in this world. Now the actors all want to be rock stars because music is the power. Music is one of the most forceful means of communication. I think angels actually talk in music. Angels sing. Usually they're normally 
seen singing, if you will. Singing is uh, kind of something that's universal to human nature. Only personal beings. I know they talk about whale singing, but no, that's not what I'm talking about here. We're talking about singing praise to God. Only personal beings can do this. And the church has always been the singing church. Christianity is the only singing religion because we're the only religion that has something to sing about. Don't we have something to sing about? We do. I love coming to church and singing. We got praising God in psalm and praises and song, if you will. We're to thankfully, joyfully relate the goodness of God back to Him with grateful praise. Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Colossians 4, 2, Devote yourself to prayer. Keep alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. Uh, again, sing to Him in thanksgiving and praise. And uh, someone would say, by the way, Jesus is coming. <laughs> look up. Something to sing about here. I know this doesn't look too bright at that right at this moment. But uh, Jesus is either going to come down and for us, or we're going to, he's going to say, come on up here with me. All right? well, I'm going to go to him, he's going to come to me, one or the other. That's, that's, the, that's the hope that I have. And this is something James actually just told us in the last section. Behold, he's standing at the door. He's coming. I mean, don't get too upset about everything that happens here. Jesus is coming. All right, okay, I got that. That kind of sets the, the tone of my attitude. Uh, cheerfulness can... Um, can sometimes draw us away from God with, in the area of frivolity, um, everything in life, however, whether it's troubles or prosperity, problems or success, can and should be uh, some, something that strengthens our relationship to God. I'm going to be truthful to Him. I'm not going to swear some stupid oath that diminishes His name in some way, that drags His name down. If I speak His name, it's going to be in truth. And then, if I have difficulties, I'm going to bring it to Him in prayer. I'm going to to lay it out before the Lord. And then I'm going to praise Him for all the blessings and kindnesses He brings into my life. Sooner or later, life in this world is going to lead... Uh, lead to suffering, some kind of injustice, some kind of a difficult situation, difficult person. What do I do when that happens? How do I verbally respond to that situation? Our normal reaction to these things, I get angry about it, I lash out, or I, I give up in anguish. I just, oh, I, I, can't, I can't handle this anymore. James says you need to be patient with people and persistent in circumstances, like Job. Trusting Jesus at His second coming to make everything right. He's going to make it right. Whether I ever see that here, He is going to do it. I have that confidence. In these verses, James gives us three verbal responses to affliction and troubles and problems. Always be truthful. Relate everything back to God. And give him praise, sing praises to God. Um, every circumstance of the Christian's life should be met this constant acknowledgement of God's will in truthfulness, prayer, and praise. I give you the closing example of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, beaten bloody to a pulp, feet in stocks so they couldn't get off of that 
beaten, bloody pulp backside that they were laying on. And what do they do at midnight? They pray to God and they sing praises. And it says, and all the prisoners heard the truth of the Gospel at that point. So I, I represent God faithfully in this situation. That should be my goal. I'm not there yet. I'm sure you're not there yet either. But James says, this is our goal right here. This is what we're working on. All right? this, is my, this is my goal. This is what I'm working on. I need to be truthful in how I respond. I need to be prayerful. And I need to be praiseful and sing praise to God. Let's close. Father, thank You for the little book of James so practical to us. He certainly has an eye on what we've done and what we are like. And uh, certainly the Holy Spirit understands that and uses Him to tell us these things. Help us to apply this to our own heart and life today so that in, in our life, in our little life, in this realm that You placed us in, we might honor You with truth, prayer, and praise. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.